You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. This morning God wants to break off some restrictions that other people have put on you or actually tried to wedge you in and say that's, that's your place. That's your level of ability or your level of gifting in the kingdom. And this morning God, as he has already been ministering, he wants to re- bring a release from the restrictions of others upon you. And if you'll open up and say, Lord, my life is yours. What I have is yours. Take it and use it for your will. That even this morning, there's going to be a freedom that comes. Not just the idea of freedom, but you're actually going to feel like a restriction has been lifted off. You say amen this morning? Awesome. We're in a series that we called Dressed for the Kingdom. Dressed for the kingdom, and uh, with this idea, it's a reality that in our culture, um, what we wear is very heavily linked with identity and with status, and it's also, it's true in the kingdom. It's true in in the kingdom of God that we're called to be clothed in certain things, to put on certain things that actually transform our identity and our, our effectiveness. There's certain things that God has said, you, you have the right to put this on and to walk in it, and it will change your identity. Also, in the kingdom, we have this, this status and identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That when we come to Jesus, there's freedom, and we actually come into his family. Putting on Christ, being dressed for the kingdom, transforms our very identity. Anything else that defines our identity, actually, once we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, has to come under his lordship. If, you, if there's anything else that you think, this is what I am or this is who I am, that isn't defined by being a son or daughter of the living God, then can I lovingly suggest this morning that it's the wrong thing that's defining you. It's the wrong identity that you're finding value in. And there actually is a laying down of that and saying, God, I want to bring everything else under your lordship. So in this series, we're unpacking some of the significance of some of these things that the Lord says we can put on, some of the things that we should put off. But those things that we're called to put on, the things that actually says, um, you can wear this. You can wear this robe. You can wear this, uh, you know, the the garments of salvation. Um, And we're looking at how do those things shape our identity? How do they shape how we live as followers of Jesus. Because to be honest, there's a whole lot of ideas. There's a whole lot of stuff. And even at times we can sit with other Christians and they can tell us, you should do this or you should do that or you should be more. And it, to be honest, often it's a load of junk. Sometimes it's really good. But unless it lines up with what God said about us or how we should live our life or the things we should give time and value to, they can actually be unhelpful. So how does this shape how we live our lives as followers of Jesus? What's the spiritual clothing of sons and daughters of the Most High God? What's the spiritual clothing of a kingdom of priests whose calling is to extend the kingdom by making disciples? What should we look at? What identity should we live in? What does it mean and what does it look like to be dressed for the kingdom? I'm going to give you a really quick overview. So far we've looked at being clothed in the garments of salvation. That actually we put on Christ. That we're called to put on Christ Jesus. And from that place, the garments of salvation, everything else flows. And if you haven't put on the garments of salvation, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, 
then I want to encourage you that this morning is the time to make that decision. It will transform your life. We've looked at being clothed with robes of righteousness. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we're made right before God. We have right standing with him. Literally, when we come to Jesus for salvation, we put on Christ, and he takes his righteousness, his right standing, and he gives it to us. It's amazing. And then last week, Olaf did such an awesome job of talking about being clothed with humility. If you were away last weekend because it was a long weekend, please take some time to listen to that podcast because humility is the heart attitude that releases the grace and favor of God through our lives. We can talk about the things that we're, we're called to put on, but unless we come to the Lord with a humble heart, it actually, pride will hinder that whole process of the favor and grace of God being released in us, of being able to put those things on. Um, somebody said that, yeah, the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That, that, that phrase, God opposes the proud, is like the sharp end of a spear. That's the picture it carries. That actually when you are, are, are living in pride, you're standing at the sharp end of the spear of God. But when we walk in humility, it's like, ooh, ouch. <laughs> when we walk in humility, it releases his grace and favor. That's all to say, last week was an amazing preach. I'm not going to re-preach your preach, but it was awesome. I, I was like listening to it going, oh, this is so good. Um, a lot of the things that we are going to unpack in the rest of this series, though, to be honest, we won't put on or we won't be able to walk in them without a heart attitude of humility. So actually, every week that we come, every time we sit down with the Word, every time we spend time with the Lord, it actually has to be from a place of, God, transform me. It has to come from a humble heart. First Peter 5, verse 5 says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We just, we just quoted. If we don't constantly deal with the pride in our lives, and if you say you don't have pride in your life, at some point, you're lying to yourself. Or you're proud. We'll never walk in the fullness of what God has, has for us. This constantly laying down of self. This week I want to look at being clothed in purity and holiness. Being clothed in purity and holiness. I don't think that um, Dave knew what I was going to preach on, and he picked basically every song was about holiness this morning. Um, I love that. What Michael shared at the start was about being a kingdom of priests set apart that were holy for, for God. And uh, he was sharing that in our prayer meeting before. And I was like, do you know what I'm going to preach this morning? And he goes, no. It's about purity and holiness. I love how the Lord speaks and sets us up for what he wants to do in us. If you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to Revelation chapter 19, please? We've seen that when we come to Jesus... We receive the garment of salvation. We put on Christ, and we receive the robes of righteousness. We're made right before God so that we can walk in relationship and intimacy with him. From that place, we're called to put on holiness and purity. It's not something that's like the most popular thing to preach into our culture. Because in our culture, it says do whatever you want, live however you want. Nothing's going to affect you. Nothing's going to change you know, change you. But actually, in the kingdom, we're called to be a people who put on purity and holiness. And we're going to see why this morning. So Revelation 19, verse 4 to 8, says this, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, 
who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I love the imagery, and I don't want to get, get too sidetracked in it, but this thing, the sound of a mighty roar. I don't know if you've ever stood at the base of a waterfall, or if you've ever, if you've ever hiked to see a waterfall, and you can hear it when you're far off. You can hear the roar. It's like the, the peal of thunder before you, before, you know, you might not see the lightning, but you hear the thunder. It might be behind a hill or in the clouds, but you hear that roar coming. And I think there's a sound, when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, there's a sound in our worship and in our adoration that begins to rise like that, like that roar of a waterfall. That you can hear something happening in the spirit realm. And it says that his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, from verse 13 says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. If you jump down to verse 23 of 1 Peter 1, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Woo! As sons and daughters of the King of Kings, as a kingdom of priests called to be dressed for the kingdom, we're called to clothe ourselves with holiness and purity. This is so key. This is so, so fundamentally important because if we're going to be a people who hosts his presence and to minister to him and to minister in power, we have to be a people who walk in purity and holiness. This is not about am I saved or am I not saved? This is not about does God love me any more or less. This is about the effectiveness of advancing the kingdom, of being a people who minister to the presence of God, who walk in intimacy with him. This is about the effectiveness of what we're called to do, to see the, the, the rule and reign of Jesus come to those around us. We're clothed with robes of righteousness at salvation. But we're called to prepare ourselves, to clothe ourselves with purity and holiness. But what's the difference? What's the difference between, oh, we get robes of righteousness or purity and holiness? Isn't it all the same thing? The short answer is this. I'm glad you asked. What's the difference? It's a short answer. There is a short answer. We're righteous because God counts Jesus' goodness instead of our sins when we have faith in Jesus. We're righteous because when God looks at us, he sees the perfect one who sacrificed for our sins, Jesus. And he counts his goodness to our account. 
We're becoming holy as we obey God more and more in our lives. We're becoming holy. I'm going to unpack this a little bit because we are holy and we're becoming holy. But we're going to get into that in a second. Being righteous is dependent upon faith. Paul strongly emphasizes this in Romans 3 to 5. We don't have time to read all of Romans 3 to 5. But he quotes this in Genesis 15 verse 6 about Abraham to prove this point that righteousness is based on faith. He says, and he believed, Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Because he believed, he counted it to him as righteousness. Being righteous is not based on what we do. That's an Old Testament model of being right with God. We have to bring certain sacrifices. We have to observe certain times and feasts and things so that, so that we can come before the Lord. It's something we receive when we believe God's promises. See, through faith in Jesus, we, we receive forgiveness of sins and we're made acceptable to God. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we deserve it. In fact, you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. It's simply through faith in Jesus, believing that he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did, that he did, that he died and he rose again. It's not through what we do, but through what Jesus has done. The prodigal son didn't do anything to receive the best robe when he returned to the Father. He simply returned to the Father. That's how we receive the robe of righteousness, simply coming to the Father and putting our faith in Jesus. But being holy means to be set apart for God. That phrase, to be holy, can be used of objects, like a holy altar. It can be used uh, in relation to time, like a holy day, a, a day set apart. Or it can be used as a person, a holy priest, someone set apart to minister to the Lord. All believers, and here's where it gets a little tricky in our theology unpacking this morning, all believers are set apart for God, and therefore are made holy. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. It says, but you were washed... You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's all past tense. So at the same time, though, being made holy is not just a one-time event. It's a continuing process. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. As we're living in intimacy, as we're walking in communion with God, we're growing in faith. More and more we're changed into the likeness of Jesus. More and more we display the fruits of the Spirit in our life. In that way we're being made holy. We're becoming more like him. In this process, it's only completed when we actually go to be with God in eternity. Let me show you something in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 7 if you can turn there with me. If you don't have your Bible, it will come up on the screen. Ephesians 2 from verse 1 says this. And you were dead in, the tres in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's before we come to Jesus. That's who we were. Among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the grace, sorry, because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It says, by grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Positionally, spiritually, from the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You understand that? We're there with him. We're holy. Positionally, we're with him in heavenly places. And at the same time, while we're still here in these bodies made of flesh, we're being transformed into his likeness. We're being made holy while we're still here on earth. So there's the, the now and the not yet. There's the positionally seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are holy. And then there's the now. We're being made holy as we walk in obedience with him. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, but when, uh, sorry, from verse 16, we were just reading up to verse 7. Verse 16 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. There's a transformation that comes in our lives from living in obedience and intimacy. We're positionally seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're saved because of faith. It's a free gift. But there's a transformation that takes place. We become more like Jesus, and the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our life when we live in a place of obedience and intimacy to him. We're righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. We receive the robe of righteousness, and we're becoming holy as we grow in faith. In Jesus Christ, we're becoming more like him. We've been declared righteous because of something that's happened outside of us. Christ died for us. This is God's work for us. And we don't contribute anything to that except our belief. It's not because of what we do. It's because of what Jesus did. We have to understand that. And we receive the blessing of righteousness when we believe. We become holy Because of something that's happening in us. We're becoming more and more like Christ. This is the work of God in us. So the robe of righteousness is the gift of God. It's something that happens outside of us. Becoming holy is the work of God in us as we walk in intimacy with him and we become more like him. It's still God's work. But we're also fully involved. We're living it out. We don't just receive it, we partner with it. There's some things we just receive, and there's some things we get to partner with in the kingdom. We receive righteousness. We receive salvation. We receive his spirit. We partner with the the, the regeneration of our lives to become holy and pure. So how do we put on purity and holiness? How do we partner with him in this process of becoming more like him? Firstly, is to realize that holiness and purity come from proximity to the Holy One. Holiness and purity don't come first and foremost by focusing on holiness and purity. They come first and foremost by proximity, by being close to the one who is holy. 1 Peter 1 verse 15 to 16 says, But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
How do we become holy? How do we grow in this? We stay close to him. We cultivate intimacy with him. We ask Jesus to show us the areas in our lives and in our thinking where he wants to cleanse us and he wants to set us free. There's a partnership in the process. It's not just come to church on a Sunday and somebody will wave the magic fairy wand over you and like you know, it's just going to be this thing that just happens. There's a partnership in the process. God wants relationship with you. He's not far off, just out there, where we're seated with him in heavenly places. He's like, we'll just sort out, you know, while you're here on earth, good luck. I hope you sort it out. But I'm just going to stay up here in heaven and stay far away. The reason he sent Jesus was so that we could have intimate relationship with him. He wants to know everything. I mean, the thing is this. He knows everything. But he wants you to share from a place of relationship your struggles. Have you ever read the Psalms? Where, where the, the writers of the Psalms share the reality of their struggles. Why so downcast, O my soul? But I love this. Most of the Psalms move from the place of vulnerability and reality to refocusing on who God is and then coming from that place. Why so downcast, O my soul? Yet put your hope in God. And then, then it moves to this place of I will extol him and I will worship you. And there's a shift that takes place. Holiness and purity come from proximity to the Holy One. So will you draw close to him? Will you live in a vulnerable reality with him? God, I'm struggling with this. God, I'm struggling with this, these thought patterns. Uh, you know, will you help me? I want to know you more. I want to sit at your feet. I want to minister to your presence. I want to be in your presence. I want to spend time getting to know who you are. And he wants to know who you are as well. He doesn't need us to tell him what we're struggling with, but he wants us to. There's a freedom that comes from that. God knows. He knows everything you do. He knows your thoughts. He knows your struggles. But because he's relational, because he wants intimacy with you, he wants you to be vulnerable. Secondly, how do we put on purity and holiness? Firstly, it comes from proximity to the Holy One. Secondly, obey the truth. It's proximity. It's draw close to Him. And then obey the truth. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. How does purity come? By obedience to the truth. How do we prepare ourselves? By obedience to the truth to the truth, by living in truth. John 8, verse 31 to 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a freedom that comes through abiding in his word, seeing his truth, knowing his truth, and then living in his truth. It brings a freedom to us. It brings a purity in our lives that we can't do in any other way. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young man, and you could put in here, or a young woman, keep their, keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Purity comes by applying or re responding to the truth of the word of God in our lives. 
That's why when we get up and we preach or when we share or when we encourage one another, we come back to the Bible and we read Scripture and we read big chunks of Scripture. Because it's the truth of the word, not the truth of my opinion or my idea. My ideas don't set you free unless they're the truth of the word. It's the word of God, the truth in his word that brings freedom and purity. The heater has gone off. There's like this glorious like silence and calm. Feels a bit awkward. It's not enough to be in church and listen to preachers and podcasts. We have to actually obey the truth. It's not enough to just hear the truth. It's not enough to live with somebody else who's walking in truth. Young people, it's not enough to live in a house that honors the truth. You have to actually obey the truth yourself. And can I say this, and I know you're going to go, oh, but it's, it's not my truth. It's the truth. <laughs> Thank you, Ethan. My truth has to submit to and come under the lordship of Jesus. It has to come under the truth. It's one of the biggest fallacies of our culture. It's a lie of the devil that tries to take us away from Jesus to say that your truth is the truth. It's not the truth. Your truth is actually from your flesh or from the devil, and it wants to take you away from intimacy with Jesus. Your truth is a lie. Your identity, if it's found in anything other than being defined by the truth of what God says about you, is a lie. It's not your identity, and it's not the truth. It's a lie from the pit of hell trying to take you away from what you're designed to be, which is somebody who lives in communion with the King of kings and Lord of lords, who walks with his spirit. The minute we start to be selective about what biblical truth we like or we agree with or we obey, as soon as we start to justify why that truth doesn't apply to me or I don't need to respond to it, we begin to backslide. Backsliding doesn't start with a decision to go, uh, sorry. Backsliding, the first step of it isn't, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. It starts with, I don't need to respond to that truth. That doesn't apply to me. I don't need to live according to his pattern. The moment we say, you know, I know the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of believers, but I only need to come every second week. That's the moment we start to actually backslide away from what God has for us. The moment we say, well, that truth is great for Mark, but I actually really don't, I don't believe it because it's uncomfortable, and it's, you know, it, it goes against my cultural belief or my understanding of how I'm called to walk in, is the moment you actually begin to backslide, you begin to step away from the purpose of God and intimacy. And we stop becoming holy and pure. And we be, our heart begins to be seared. We start to become hard-hearted. We start to close ourselves off from vulnerability and intimacy with God. Because it never stops with just the one thing. 
the one thing, because our heart begins to be seared and closed off, becomes the other thing, and offense comes in, and bitterness comes in, and they build up. And then we start to see all this stuff, and we start to go, oh, well, you know, it's not just, it's not just gathering. I don't like those people, and they, you know, they're weird, and they're different, and, you know, they're whatever it is, and I'm not going to come anymore, and I don't need to come. And we start to create our own truth, and I don't need to spend time in the Word. The, the moment we go, you know what, I don't need to walk in intimacy with my Creator. God doesn't mind. There's grace. I'll get to it next week. There is grace because you can always come back. But the moment we start to make excuses for not spending time with him, for not walking in close proximity with him, for not opening our hearts, for not doing the things he's called us to do, is the moment that we begin to backslide. And you say, how does somebody who walked with the Lord in such power even and intimacy end up in a place that they look like a non-believer. It's little decisions here. To respond to my truth rather than the truth. We have to humble ourselves and respond to who he is and the truth of his word. In Galatians 5 or 7, Paul writes to the Galatians, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Have you ever seen that scripture? You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Let us not be those who hinder others from obeying the truth. But let us not be those who don't obey the truth ourselves. Lest we stop running well. You guys all right? It just like feels like very heavy because like there's no background noise of the heater going. And it's just like... Yeah, you could, you could actually hear a pin drop, because usually in this building, you could probably, like, have a conversation and people couldn't hear you because it's quite noisy. Thirdly, how do, we, how do we put on purity and holiness? It's proximity. Draw near to him. Respond to truth. Walk in obedience. Thirdly, cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. That's not the most, like, popular preach in the world. That's not the... But it's... Honestly, this is reality. See, <laughs> I don't want to, I'm sure you guys know this because you're in this church, but um, we don't want to be a church, and I don't want to be a preacher that just gives you fairy floss, cotton candy, and you go away going, oh, I feel good, but you have a, you have a tummy ache all week, and you actually become unhealthy and get cavities, and all your teeth fall out. We can pick, I mean, again, it comes back to truth. We can pick all the scriptures that are just feel-good scriptures about Jesus loves you and God's good all the time and he wants to bless you and he wants to make you prosperous and there is truth in all of that. But we can ignore the stuff of cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. And to be honest, we don't mature and we don't become like Christ and we don't, we're not transformed into his image and we never deal with the things in our life that hold us back. And that's why you see so many Christians in the Western world who live powerless, ineffective, they're bored, they go, oh, you know, I don't really know about church, I'm not really that involved. It really, the, the, their relationship with the Lord plays almost no role in their life decision. Because much of the church, and we can fall into that, don't preach the stuff that's difficult to preach. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 21 to 23. It says, therefore, 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, 
he will be a vessel for honorable use. Who wants to be a vessel for honorable use? Who wants the Lord to use you? Well, then this is a key. We have to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. Set apart as holy. What are we talking about? Purity and holiness. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I want to be a person who is useful to the master of the house. Who is useful to the Lord, set apart for every good work. He says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Um, I reckon that you should put in the just flee dishonorable passions. Because some of the passions aren't just youthful passions. I mean, I'm not youthful anymore. And sometimes you still have to flee from some passions that are youthful passions, but are still old man passions as well. That, 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 ex, that explore tab on Instagram is going to get you in trouble, boys, just so you know. You know the search tab? You should just block that one out completely. Because sometimes you just got to go, oh, my gosh, that's not, that's, that's not going to be helpful. Flee from those things. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Ooh, quarrels. It's not just things that, that, that we know are sinful that at times we're drawn to, but it's the, the unhelpful controversies. There's things that distract us from the purposes of God. The amount of time that Christians spend debating theology without living on mission makes me sick. I don't care. I mean, you know, I, I actually, to be honest, as a person, I like the questions and the, and the, you know, the wrestles. But don't challenge somebody on their theology if you're not living in a place of mission. Ask the question. But if you're not willing to put it into practice, what's the point? What are we doing? Ask the Lord to set you free and cleanse you from things that are dishonoring to the Lord. Cleanse yourself so that we can be set apart. This is the process of becoming pure and holy. To say, God, help me to be cleansed from that which is dishonorable so that I'm becoming more like you, so that I can be used by you, so I can be more effective for you. So we started with proximity, spending time with the Lord and being willing to respond to truth. So when you're spending time with the Lord and you're willing with an open heart to respond to what you see in the Word and what He shows you, then we can be cleansed from what is dishonorable. Because if there's dishonorable things in your life, He'll show you. Because He wants you to be free. When you ask God that question, He'll bring to your mind, to your, to your memory, to, your, to the things that are dishonorable to Him. And it doesn't have to be a big major thing. It doesn't have to be like, now I have to go to the mountains and do three months of, like, of, of you know, fasting and praying and inner healing. It's like, actually, just in that moment when he brings it up, repent and ask him to set you free. You don't even need somebody else to lay hands on you. Although we believe in the laying on of hands and somebody else can pray for you. But you can actually do it yourself. Oh, God, I'm I'm sorry. I, re- I repent. Lord, would you cleanse me? Would you set me free from that thing? Kids are having fun this morning. 
It's also why we have there. Deal ruthlessly with anything that doesn't bring him glory. Deal ruthlessly. To cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable is not just to like, nah, well, okay, put it, I'll just put it on the side. Because there's a spiritual battle. And the enemy wants you to give your time to what is dishonorable. Deal ruthlessly with it. Cut it off. Be vulnerable. Be open. Tell somebody. Do whatever you need to do to make sure that that thing isn't an ongoing issue. And then ask yourself, what are you filling your life with? What are you listening to? What are you meditating on? Because you can't spend five days a week listening to stuff that is, that is full of rot and then expect to walk into church on Sunday and walk into his presence and be like, oh, this is, yeah, this is powerful and amazing. You know, the enemy wants to bring to your mind the filth that you filled it with. And the Lord wants to bring to your mind the truth of who he is in his word. So what are you filling your mind with? What are you meditating on? What's coming out of your mouth? And can I, can I dare to say, and step on some toes, that you can, you can tell what you're meditating on and what you're filling yourself with by what comes out of your mouth. Because the Bible actually says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you catch yourself talking a load of rot all the time, then maybe you're filling yourself with rot. If your response to situations is anger and bitterness and spite and bleh, then maybe you're filling yourself with the wrong things. And we all have those moments. We all have those moments where we want to respond with, bleh. and as we mature, we kind of catch those moments more. And we say, oh, God, cleanse me. Help me. But if we're always catching ourselves, vomiting disgustingness on people, then maybe you're filling yourself with the wrong stuff. Fourthly, this is my last, my last point. How do we put on purity and holiness? It's not just what we put off. It's what we're sowing to. Sow, sow to the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Let's draw near to Him. Walk in obedience. Ask Him to help you put off and be cleansed from what is dishonorable. But we don't stop at that place. It's like we don't stop at the empty like, God, you know, empty me of those things that are actually unhelpful so that I can be filled with who you are. So to the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 16 to 26. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We want to become more like Jesus. We want to be more effective. But the desires of the flesh are there to try and stop us from doing the things that we want to do. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. That's a lot of bad stuff. I, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's writing to the Galatians, the church in Galatia. They're saved already. Say, stop doing this filthy stuff. Some of us need to hear this. I warned you as I warned you before. Stop doing such things, for those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Walk by the Spirit. So to the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. So to the Spirit so that the fruit of, that your life produces is the fruit of the Spirit. Stop doing the filthy stuff because you're not under that anymore. Actually, the flesh has been crucified with Christ. We're not subject to that. But so to the things that are going to cause you to become more like Christ. The Bible says what you sow you will reap. So what are we sowing to? They seem like simple questions, but these will transform your life. What are you giving your time to? Will you be honest with yourself this morning? Because what you give your time to, what you sow to, will bear fruit in your life. And can I be vulnerable as a, pers- as a, as a person who has been leading a church for 15 years and leading people for a long time before that? You don't want to wait until the fruit that you're having to deal with is the fruit of sowing to the flesh. You don't want to wait 20 years down the track to have to deal with some of that fruit because the fruit has consequences. Sowing to the flesh has consequences. And yes, there's grace. And yes, there's freedom. And as we heard this morning in the worship, God wants to set you free and break off restrictions. But can I give you wisdom? If you're you're not in that place yet, stop sowing to that. Sow to the Spirit so that in 20 years' time, the fruit that you're reaping in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You go, wow, how am I responding like this in the face of this, this situation? Because I've sown to the Spirit for 20 years in my life. Rather than, why do I want to, like, kick somebody's door in and spit in their face when they cut me off? Because I've been sowing to the flesh in my life. None of you guys ever feel like that? I told you I'd be vulnerable. Sometimes the word translated flesh is sarks. It's like snake. Sometimes the flesh rears its head. Have you ever played that whack-a-mole game, like where the mole pops up? And you, it's my favorite game as a kid. It's just like. I've taken that picture into my life. When the flesh rears its head, just whack that sucker. Put it again. You're dead. You're not allowed to get up again. You're buried. Stay in the grave. Get back, get back in the grave. Jesus says to Peter when he, say, he says, get behind me, Satan. He's like, Wah. that thing's dead. I'm sowing to the Spirit. And the grace and the good news of the gospel this morning is that if as I'm speaking and we're laughing together and I'm sharing some silly examples, if you're realizing, oh, my goodness. I've sown some things to the flesh. There's some, there's some stuff of things in my life that dishonor God. The grace of God this morning is that there's freedom. Is that actually when we respond to him, we don't always have to wait 20 years to pick the fruit of that decision. There's some things that have consequences, but actually you can walk in freedom right now. You can change. You can make some different decisions. You can say, Lord, set me free. Lord, help me to sow to the Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? Beth, could you come?
purity and holiness are a byproduct of Christ being formed in us. Yes, we're seated with him in heavenly places, but there's something of becoming like him. There's a purity, there's a holiness, there's a renewing of our minds that happens when Christ is formed in us. It's through the work of the Spirit. His Spirit in us, His breath of life in us, that we're transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. So can I ask this morning, how do you need to respond? We don't pursue holiness, we pursue the Holy One. Do you need to be in closer proximity with the Holy One? Are you living at arm's length? It's like you're keeping him far off. You can have this little area of my life, but not these other things. We felt this morning, even as we were praying, there's some here today, and whether it's because of hurt or fear, that actually you're living in a place where you've put up some walls of control. I'm willing for God to do this and that in my life, but not these other things. I'm willing, it for, I'm willing for it to look like this, but not like that, because if it looks like that, I'll feel out of control. And maybe that's because of things done to you or hurt that you're living in. I felt this morning God wants to set you free. There's cracks appearing in those walls in a good way because he wants them to come down. Do you need to be in closer proximity to the Holy One? Are there areas of truth that you need to respond to in obedience? Things that you know. If you're honest, if you're humble this morning, you've seen it, you know it, but you're not putting value to it. Sometimes it's as simple as, I've just filled my life and my calendar with other things. And we don't come to meetings or groups to tick a box to somehow say, well, that's it. Now I'm a better Christian. But there is a reality of putting value on the things that he values. Do you need to cleanse yourself from some things that are dishonoring to Jesus in his presence? If you do, Right now, as he's revealing those things, just repent. Simply repent and say, Lord, would you cleanse me? Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for giving time to that. I'm sorry for focusing on that. Lord, set me free. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, make me pure. Lord, make me holy. What do you need to sow to the Spirit this morning? Maybe you've realized, oh, I'm so into the flesh. The overflow of my heart is actually fleshly things, not things of the Spirit. Make the decision this morning. I'm going to sow to the sow to the Spirit and share it with somebody so that you're accountable. Share it with a discipleship group. Share it with your spouse. Share it with people around you. So it's not a decision you make on the 18th of June, 2023, that you're not walking with on the 25th of June. 
but that actually there's a sowing that happens. All of these things start from the place of saying, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life, of every area, of every thought. I actually want to dethrone myself and put you on the throne of my life and choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, as I said at the start of this preach, today is the day of salvation. As we finish, I'm going to ask, would you come to the, to the front? Because we want to pray with you, we want to stand with you, and we want to celebrate with you salvation and freedom. And for those that are responding, and I hope we're all responding in some way, would you do business with the Lord this morning? And if you need to, someone to stand with you in prayer, as you respond, we would love to. If you feel like those words about restrictions being broken are for you and you actually want to stand with somebody, Yes, you can. Lord, we say yes to you. We bless you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we want to be those who are formed in your image, who walk in purity and holiness, who live in a place of kingdom effectiveness. And so we respond to you this morning. Transform us. Set us free. Cleanse us, Lord, from the dishonorable things, Lord, so that we can be filled by your Spirit. I just see, like, clay jars that were once full of, like, compost and manure being washed out and then filled to the overflowing, like a spring bubbling up. It's fresh water. I feel like some this morning, and we're going to finish now, but just last prophetic thing. I feel like some this morning, you feel like people have been throwing dirt into your wellspring. Actually, God wants to set you free and cleanse you this morning. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We celebrate who you are. You're worthy. You're holy. You're glorious. We want to walk in intimacy with you. We want to know you more. Can we just together thank him for who he is this morning? Lord, we thank you. We bless you. Lord, you're worthy of our praise and our adoration of, all, of our lives, of who we are. Lord, we sow to you. We want to walk in proximity with you. Lord, I thank you for that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Will there be joy in the house this morning as we respond to you? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.